So one more time, this is Value Nigeria Podcast. It's a pleasure bringing this podcast to all the retail investors listening week in and week out. Um, I trust your week has been brilliant. Um, This podcast is dedicated to helping the retail investors improve their investing practice. And hopefully at the end, this will lead to improved returns and improved profits uh, that they'll get from their investments. Um, We've tried to bring various guests onto the show just so that it wouldn't be me sharing my opinion all the time. And in that same vein, we also have a lovely guest on the podcast. My guest this week works as an equity research analyst with Meristem Nigeria. Um, It's probably a coincidence that my last guest was also from Meristem. So probably Meristem is doing something really good and they are attracting the best and the brightest in the industry. Um, she's also worked in a couple of other financial institutions and I'll let her do her own introductions. Um, she's had her BSc in economics, also from Babcock University. So this is interesting. My last guest was also from Babcock <laughs> University. <laughs> so this is, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting conversation today. And, um, funny enough, she's only my second female guest on the podcast to, so, that shows that um, I need oh, wow. to do much more work to get female guests onto the onto the show. My guest on the show this week is Miss Juliana Ogunkoya, and it's a pleasure to have her on the podcast. Um, yeah, welcome to the show, Juliana. Thanks, Adibola. Thanks for having me today. I'm glad to join you on your podcast. Perfect, perfect. Um, as we were saying behind the scenes, that um, usually the hard work in getting guests is you know, reaching out to them, trying to find a suitable sh- time on their schedule to have the conversation. But it's been brilliant with you. Thank you so much for sacrificing your time even to have this chat with me. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad I'm here too. Perfect. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Usually I like to get to know the guests a little bit better, to get a little bit of flavor about their personal backgrounds, educational backgrounds, and their professional backgrounds. If you don't mind sharing... Just something about your early years, what has shaped you to be the person that you are today, and then your educational background and your professional background. Okay, so um, thanks again for having me. My name is Liana Ogunkoya, and I studied economics at Babcock University. And yeah, I started my career um, at Fidelity Bank as an intern in the banking unit. And afterwards, after like a couple of months, I um, went for my NYSC, and after NYSC, like every other, almost every other Nigerian, they tried to look for a job. I tried to get a job and all of that, and I found myself um, as an executive assistant to a construction company. Then from there, moved to the energy sector, where I worked as a as a finance and business development administrator. And from there, I tried to figure out my life and what exactly I wanted to do. That was when I found myself. Um, Got myself a job at Meristem. That was when I joined Meristem. So uh, presently at Meristem, I work as a research analyst and I do like research coverage spanning across fixed income, uh, macroeconomy, credit analysis, and I also cover the consumer and beauty sector. So I give like in- investors recommendation on investment opportunities. All right, perfect. And and if you don't mind sharing what how growing up, what, how, what your formative years were like. And how that has shaped you into who you are today? All right. So um, aside from the fact 
that I have a background in finance. Sincerely, I wasn't sure what I wanted after the, my university. I remember like reaching out to my friends and I just wanted an internship. I just wanted to get myself like an internship somewhere. And she was like, oh, do you know about LinkedIn and all of that? I'm like, I don't understand how LinkedIn works. And she, we opened an account like that present that day. And I just started connecting to a lot of people. And she's like, oh, I need to send like as many people as possible, like my uh, like a message that I want an internship and all of that. And it worked. I got a, that was when I landed myself an internship with Fidelity Bank. And I think when I joined Fidelity, I felt like, okay, maybe this is where a career trajectory was going to start from. Um, joining the e-banking unit, because I found the e-banking quite interesting. But luckily for me, I could not um, continue my internship with Fidelity Bank because in Nigeria, you can't. Um, you can't do your NYC in the bank, basically. So I had to travel down to Delta State for my NYC. And when I got back from NYC, uh, I needed a job. It was quite difficult during that phase. Like, it's not instant, basically. And I was not, like, super exposed to information. I wasn't sure of what I wanted and all of that. My brother recommended me to someone that employed me as, a, as his executive assistant. So I stayed there for a while. That wasn't exactly what I wanted. So I stayed there for a while, maybe a few months, before I landed myself a job um, with, uh, with an energy management company. I worked there as a finance and business development um, administrator for a while. And during the pandemic, I don't know, I, I had like very deep self-reflection, like what exactly did I want? And I knew I wanted something related to personal finance. I wanted something related to investment advisory and all of that. And during the pandemic, trust me, I explored a lot of things. I did things to data, related to data analytics, related to business analytics, data science. I did a lot of things. I just wanted to explore things. And I did something related to financial analytics, too. And I found out like, I really, really enjoyed finance. And maybe because I had background in finance and everything, everything was just in sync. And I'm like, okay, why not just focus on this part, since this is where your strength really lies. Then, yeah, I started more courses related to um, personal finance, um, financial um, analytics, and all of that. And I applied for a job at Meriden. And later, I got the investment um, research analyst job. And since then, it's been a win-win situation for me because um, the job, luckily for me, um, the job at Meriden has really placed me, has helped me to redefine my long-term career objective. And also, the journey has been really remarkable. I've learned a lot about finance. And yes, I've decided that this is the part I want to like follow through. And yeah, my I'm having like long-term goals on things I want to achieve, which related to um personal finance and all of that. So yeah, the journey has been very interesting for me. All right, perfect. Um, thank you very much for sharing that very personal story. Um, I've had a chat with a good number of people, and some of them, right from their very formative years, they already know finances where they were going to. And we've seen your journey through various sectors, the energy sector, constructing, construction, banking, and eventually into the finance space. That just throws it out there that there is not one route that leads into the market as the popular Yoruba adage says. Go for what you want. Be exactly. passionate about what you want. Uh, perfect, perfect. Now, just, just as an offshoot of that, um, you've gained experience from various industries, the, the you know, construction, banking, energy, amongst many others. What have you brought from all of yeah. these areas into finance, into your job as an equity research analyst today? 
Yeah, so uh, I think working as a research analyst just gives you like a broader perspective as to what the sectors entail. So right now I work as I, I covered consumer sector, so I don't go deep into the energy, the construction, but I still have like a broader knowledge as to how the economy actually impacts this sector. So um, before joining, before working as a research analyst, I just add like maybe um, just a little background as to what this sector entail. But now I understand energy sector works, how it even impacts we as consumers, how the construction sector works, the dynamics behind how the macroeconomic environment impacts the sector, what is the output of the sector, what are the opportunities, how can people take advantage of the underlying opportunities in the sector and all of that. So I think working as a research analyst just gives, gives you like a broader picture as to how the economy works, how you can discover opportunities, how you can take advantage of them. And yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. Perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, you mentioned that you cover the consumer goods industry and brewery sectors, which I hope will, the bulk of our conversation today will be about about the brewery industry, yeah. the various companies in that subsector. And basically, um, can you walk us through the various groups of products that these companies um, produce? What are the usual outputs or what are the usual products produced by the brewing subsector, the brewing sector of the consumer goods industry? Yeah, so for the brewing sector, uh, they have like several, several products. So we have like um, about three key players. That's the Nigerian breweries. We have Guinness. We have um, international breweries. And they all produce like several products panning across uh, their premium spirits, which includes like vodka, we have John Walker, we have um, Guinness, we have Star, and so much more. So we have the non-alcoholic drink too, that's malt and um, all of that. So basically, um, when, when you think of the beer sector, you think of um, things related to the alcoholic drink, you think things related to the non-alcoholic drinks and all of that. So yeah, I'm sure every everyone can relate to what this product are. One way or the other, we've had um, like a real taste of this product. So we can really relate to what uh, the beauty sector products um, actually entails. On, on a light note, um, Juliana, I'm going to take you up on what you've just said. And um, I'm, I'm, uh, and my question to you will be, which of all these products have you personally experienced? The reason I'm asking this is because I've heard a lot of equity research analysts you know, need to do deep dives on their industry, sometimes go as far as yeah. using the product, speaking to competitors. So now, Juliana, you're on the hot seat. <laughs> I think so far, really, when it comes to the alcoholic part, I like um, Origin, I like Origin and Vodka. But for the non-alcoholic, I think Motor Guinness is my best. I mean, so far. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. I'm going to make sure this, uh, the, the pod, this podcast episode is listened to by your pastor. And... Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, perfect. Okay, so that was that was just on a light note. Um, now talking a little bit more specifically about the brewing industry, um, looking at the past, where these industries are coming from, particularly if you look between the years of two thousand and eighteen to two thousand and twenty, we've see we saw a remarkable decline in the brewing industries in total. Um, looking at the sheer prices, we saw Nigerian breweries dropped from a peak of about 178 to a low of 24 in this two over this two-year period. 
Guinness dropped from about 100 Naira to 15 Naira. International breweries dropped from about 60 Naira to 3 Naira. And it's not the decline was not just in the sheer price only. So it wasn't something that was um, just an isolated event. And that was because it was all these were triggered by marked decline in revenues, marked decline in, decline in profit after tax. Basically, my question is, what was wrong with the brewing industry? And do we, do you think we are out of the woods right now? Okay, so um, going back to 2018 and all that, I mean, remember, I don't know if you remember in 2018 when um, the government increased the excise duty on on alcoholic beverages. Yes, yes. I think that was the defining moment for the beer sector during that period. Because it was like a uniform decline in revenue across like all the beer sector. Nigerian breweries um, recorded about 10% decline in revenue. Guinness um, about 80% revenue at the 29 So this um, decline, this increase in excitability at that time, what we translate to is number one, you you you're, you're costing this bureaus to absorb more cost of production because they can't just automatically um, translate this excess and pass it on to consumers. Both the producer and consumers are bearing the um, increase of this, um, of this um, product. So increasing the prices of the product might lead to um, some consumers trying to restrain from using this product and going for like cheaper alternatives and all of that. So that's one of the main reasons why you saw that decline in 2019. And for 2020, I, I mean, it was glaring that the um, lockdown due to COVID-19 led to um, decline in um, um, social gatherings and on-trade and off-trade sales. So a lot of these bureaus could not make as much revenue as they make during the pre-pandemic period. And basically for the brewers, um, out of the macroeconomic environment significantly, feeds into the brewer performance. So if the macroeconomic environment is doing very well, people are having like social gatherings, they can go to supermarkets to buy products, they can have their social gatherings, they can uh, order for this product. You can see the brewer translating into positive performance for the brewers. But when the economy is not doing well, especially during the um, um, 19 period in 2020, you know, Nigeria experienced like a recession, Nigeria's leading to recession during that period. Um, Inflation was high, GDP was, uh, like I said, Nigerian inflation, exchange rate volatility was high and all of that. So when inflation is high, I mean, it translates to higher cost of raw materials for these um, bureaus. When they are unable to um, assess exchange rates at the official rate, it means they are incurring higher um, exchange rate loss, which will translate to low earnings quality for these um, brewers. So basically, uh, for 2018, 2019, you can attribute it to um, the increase in excise duty to alcoholic products. And for 2020, it's mainly due to um, the lockdown that came with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, okay. Um, thank you very much for that explanation. Um, a, a lot of investors in who have invested their hardened funds in, in the brewers have found the past few years quite challenging. Uh, the decline in share price, decline in dividends. But we saw between 2020 and 2021, that's for the full year last year, we saw some rebound, like um, Nigerian breweries, the re- revenues were up from $337 billion to about $437 billion. That's almost a, 30, almost a 20-something percent increase. Profits were up as well. The same thing with Guinness. Um, 
the, the only laggard seem to have been international breweries um who still made a loss of about 17 billion in 2021 from a losing position of about 16 billion uh, in the previous year of 2020 uh, obviously 2022 is not yet has not yet ended so we haven't we don't have the results to compare that yet but based on 2021 can you say that the brewers are out of the woods and investors can begin to um, hope for a brighter future Okay, so um, coming into 2021, like I said, I said like the macroeconomic environment as a way of determining the health, um, if the health of the macroeconomic environment is um, good, you can see it translating to, into better sales for majority of those producers. And coming into 2021, um, economy started reopening, people started having like social gatherings, you could see on-trade and off-trade sales started picking up again, that translated to the increase in domestic demand for a uh, majority of those viewers products and also um, there was like some elements of price increases on some of this product i mean guinness increase in prices of the products um also um i mean even the gdp gdp improved like for the uh, food and beverage tobacco sector in 2021 um gdp improved like, uh, 5.7 percent relative to 1.5 percent in 2022. So it was majorly due to the reopening of economic activity, the fact that people could actually um, go and buy this product. I know um, um, those brewers, are, they've not, uh, would I say, stabilized in terms of having like strong footing in e-commerce. So do, if, if they had strong footing during the pandemic, maybe people could easily demand for this product and bring, the, bring, it, on, bring it to their houses, I mean, easily and all of that. So, um, like I said, reason of economic activities, increasing um, prices and also improved domestic demand were um, the major um, uh, driver of this brewer's performance. And yeah, that does not mean um, the economic air doings still do exist. We still have a issue of insecurity, logistic challenges, um, electricity, um, sorry, power issues, and also the issue of excise duty on, on some of those um, alcoholic products. Um, which is also still impacting the brewery sector. But yeah, largely the performance was positive as the positive um, sentiment was um, higher than the negative. And yes, for um, investors that have um, taken position over the um, years, I mean, since 2018, um, compared to what the breweries um, prices are saying now, I mean, for 20, uh, 2018, like you mentioned earlier, um, NB was as high as 170, while Guinness was as high as, I mean, Guinness was even like, about 2017, 2013, as high as in uh, 2018. And all of Presently, Guinness is trading up as about 80, something nearer, while Nigerian beauty is, I think, 47 nearer. So there's like a significant difference. So um, I think investors have also priced in the sentiment into, this, um, into the stock prices. And I mean, based on my own valuation, I don't see Nigerian beauty getting to. 100 and something nearer anytime soon. And, you know, considering what is even happening now, fixed income environment is becoming more attractive. Mm -hmm. That equities market um, largely bearish. If you've noticed the movement in the equities market for the past few weeks, it has been closing in the negative, 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 because investors are trying to reposition and re-strategize their portfolio, like positioning it in the fixed income space and also um, taking profit on majority of the tickers that have gained in the equities market. Perfect. I'm sure the investors in that uh, subsector will not be smiling as they heard you speak. Um, you know, share your thoughts. Uh, to to complicate issues, there are even still further headwinds 
Um, the, the Russia-Ukraine war seems to be impacting quite a lot on wheat prices, and which are I, which I believe forms one of the raw materials that are used by the brewers. Now, do you mind just sharing how the war in Russia and Ukraine might be impacting the brewers? Okay, so um, one of the grain utilizing industry we have now is the beer sector, and considering the fact that most of the grain utilized locally. I mean, they, they don't have sufficient grain, I mean, to produce locally for them to utilize. So they still have to depend on importation of most of this. And Russia and Ukraine collectively accounts for um, approximately 23% of uh, barley um, production. And barley is one of the major grains the brewers use, and barley, wheat, and all of that, corn, are some of the major raw materials that the brewer use. And imagine um, Russia and Ukraine um, not being able to, produce, to export their products due to this war and all of that. It's, it's, it's no-brainer that it's affecting um, the supply of availability of this commodity and also driving the prices upward. You know, the demand and supply um, rule uh, that higher the demand, the higher the price because supply is currently lagging. So this means um, if one-fifth of the main production component of the world beer is not available, I mean, they need to be replaced one or the other. So the brewers basically are relying on limited availability of raw materials, and there are a lot of pe- a lot of people chasing um, fewer goods. That's why the prices are coming up. Meaning they have to buy their raw material at higher prices, translating to high cost of production for them, right? And also straining their earnings capability. Looking at, for example, um, Guinness's latest financial or like two, four standalone financial, you could see that their, their, their earnings was very, very low. I was actually quite optimistic about how Guinness outing was going to come out um, for Q4, but they made less than a billion, I think less than 500 million in profit after tax. I mean, the, the increase in production is starting to tell company's performance. And if this Russia-Ukraine um, war persists, Russia, Russia, Ukraine is unable to um, supply this. Product. And the, the interesting thing is that most of the grains are in excess supply, uh, excess availability in Ukraine. They don't even have somewhere places to store it, and they are even lagging on harvesting some of this crop because they can't supply. Imagine um, Ukraine supplying as normally without the supply as as much as six million tons per month. Now they are struggling to even supply as much as two million tons per month. So there's a significant lag. And if this persists, it means the brewer have to be buying majority of those raw materials at higher prices, translated to higher cost of production for them in the near term. So um, I think that's the major problem. Well, um, it's a, it's a, it's almost a triple whammy for investors in that sector. Um, but the good news is that I think last week or about two weeks ago, the first ship. Um, was able to ship out green from Ukraine. So we hope that, um, you know, uh, cool heads prevail and the exports can resume uh, as previously being done. Now, just if we focus a little bit on the individual companies, maybe we'll just discuss one after the other, if it's all right by you. Um, Nigerian breweries, for instance, it's the largest brewer in the country by market share, by revenues and all that. And they've introduced the dividend reinvestment program, which is quite commendable. People have commended it, but I just want to know what your thoughts are about their dividend reinvestment program. Is it really done with the shareholders in mind, or is it just the major 
um, shareholder that is just doing this because they can't repatriate their funds in dollars and all. Okay, so for listeners that might not understand the meaning of um, dividend investment, it's just uh, mainly investors will invest in their cash dividend into um, additional shares. So yeah, I think um, I think this favors, to be honest, I think it favors um, Nigerian viewers more because number one, um, it means they are going to have like reduction in um, company interest. They, they won't have to like borrow as much and they have like IR retained earnings. So if they have IR retained earnings, they have more money to do their, their working capital um, for working capital purposes and all of that. And for investors, I think the, the major benefit for them is um, capital appreciation. And I think it's left to, I think it's, it's not compulsory for investors to reinvest um, their um, dividend. It's optional. You might decide to reinvest and you might decide not to reinvest. So um, it depends on what investors want, basically. Do you want, like, are you seeking capital? Because there's some investors that keep their portfolio basic mainly for capital appreciation. And presently, I think Nigeria is currently, um, uh, currently at an attractive point. So for me as an investor, I decide to, okay, this, this, this stock still have the potential to appreciate in the near term. So I can start to invest my dividend instead of taking it out. And maybe next year, if I think, okay, this stock has gained appreciation, I decide to sell off and take profit and reposition. So um, I think it depends on the investor's objective, even though, yes, this favors um, Nigerian beers as we might not need to um, come to the capital market to raise funds since they have like the investors reinvesting their um, dividend which they can use for their working capital purposes or other um, purposes. So I, I think it's a win-win situation for both um, the company and for the investor. All right, perfect. Um, there, there is also the, the added benefits of, you know, tax. I think that it's uh, unlike the dividends where you still pay like 10% tax to the government based on that. Um, I, I think the, div- yeah. I might be wrong, but the Dividend reinvestment um, scheme kind of saves you that ten percent tax that you would have otherwise paid to the government. Um, maybe other companies too would come into the picture and implement this scheme as well, just so for the benefit of the investors. Exactly, exactly. Once they see, oh, this is actually favorable to the company, I'm sure they would to also take advantage of the initiative. Now, talking about Guinness, um, Guinness Nigeria, the the I think during the period where they were, their earnings were pressured and, you know, revenues, everything were declining, they developed a strategy where they went into the spirits, you know, and get getting the rights for brands such as Johnny Walker, a lot of all these brands and vodka. How has this bet played out for them? And um, do you think this is something that they can sustain into the future? Okay, so um, for Nigeria, let me just start with Nigeria. Nigeria used- Major strength is the beer and the beer market. And I, I majorly call Guinness the king of spirits because they really have like their portfolio consists of a lot of like spirits products like dailies, you know, other premium, yeah. um, premium spirits, mainstream spirits. That's Guinness's major strength. And I think they've been, been doing well so far as at their um, latest financial and um, both the mainstream, uh, mainstream, uh, mainstream spirit. Sorry. And the premium spirits were um, contributed significantly um, to their, um, what do you call it, to their top line. I think the mainstream spirits increased by about 34%, while premium spirits 19%. So they are trying to gain the market ground when it comes to spirits. When you think of premium spirits, when you think of uh, mainstream spirits, they want it to be like Guinness. That was, that's their major strength. I think they're doing well in that regard. 
Um, however, like I mentioned earlier about their um, Q4 performance, I don't know, the Q4 volume um, growth in um, the Q4 performance was not that strong. And I think I'm just attributing it to um, the um, slowdown in economy, considering the rising inflation and all of that. So if consumer purchasing power um, is diminishing, they might be unable to buy those premium brands because this premium brands, they are for like high-level individual because I'm sure vodka is a the price of vodka is significantly higher compared to beer, where consumers can easily buy any form of um, Nigerian beers, maybe, um, what do you call it, this type of beer, basically, like, um, so basically, I was just trying to um, solidify their footing when it comes to the spirit brand. They want to be known as a premium brand and all of that. I think the downside to this is that if, Consumers' purchasing power um, is, not, is not strong. And I mean, we can all relate to this. Inflation is rising. Consumers will be prioritizing how they can um, minimize their spending and all of that. If they're unable to buy this product, I mean, it's going to tell on Guinness's performance because people rather just say, well, let me go for anything. Let me go for something that is more affordable and all of that. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting. And um, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts uh, on that. Uh, now we go into the headache, the main headache of uh, various many retail investors, and that is international breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was a brewer that had a lot of promise initially. Um, a lot of money was made in them. I remember their, was it a rights offer or their public offer at a point many, many years ago where it sold for about 87 cover. And, you know, just whoever bought that is still in the green today and still in profit. However, this company has not lived up to the billing, has not lived up to the promise and the potential they held. Um, losses are still piling upon losses. They are struggling for, for market share. What is going on with international breweries and is there any hope in sight? So for international breweries, I would say um, the major problems started for um, consolidation of um, AB Invev local operation in Nigeria. So in 2018, there was this consolidation. AB Inbev, which is the company of international breweries, um, had like some sort of consolidation of um, their um, subsidiaries in Nigeria. I think companies like um, Harbour Breweries, um, Interfax Breweries, and all of that consolidated with um, international breweries, which made this um, one of the, which increased um, international breweries market during that period. However, this companies and subsidiaries had like significant um, um, leverage. They had high depth in their books. So consolidating with um, international breweries means international breweries will be carrying huge debts relative to where it was coming from. So as of that time, international breweries started incurring, as of 2018 or 2019, international breweries started incurring high finance costs, even um, um, administrative expense skyrocketed significantly, over 100% or so. And I think um, the major contributor to that increase in administrative expense was um, in depreciation expense. Imagine, imagine incurring over 100% increase in um, administrative expense, incurring over like 10 billion in finance costs on an annual basis. And I think the, 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 the total borrowings is currently over 100 billion. Um, that they are still trying to service since the consolidation. So since that time, it's an, although in terms of top line, they've been doing well, 
but um, the costs are really tilting up into their margins and impacting them significantly. So um, I, I wouldn't say there is hope in sight now until maybe um, the board of the international start giving, start giving us um, strategies as to which they, they, they intend to um, pay off this debt. I think paying off the debt is the major uh, the major headache of the company right now. If they're able to um, pay off their debts and uh, um, minimize their leverage position, oh, then we can start thinking that, okay, there is open sites for this company. But if their debt is still significantly high, as at this point, uh, I, I mean... We are still we are still optimistic about their net outlook for now. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, unfortunately, that's that combination of high debt struggling just means that eventually one of the ways that they want to retire the debt will be to raise another round of capital from investors, which means you know another dilution, reduction in the percentage of your holdings. So. It's, it's unfortunately a tight situation for investors who have their money in international breweries at present. Now, now for, for, exactly. for the retail investor generally who is investing in the brewing subsector, in the brewery sectors, what is your advice for them? What would you tell an investor who, who has the brewers as part of his portfolio? So, um, firstly, I would like to say uh, majority of those brewers, like Guinness, um, Nigerian breweries, they're really um, trying to re-strategize and introduce new uh, expansion initiatives to improve their current position. I think international breweries invested in our breweries somewhere ago recently to in- increase its cap- um, capacity, its production capacity. Um, Guinness also intends to improve its routes to market. Uh, increase prices, trying to like implement strategies to improve their performance. So it shows that okay, yes, yeah, these companies are like putting an effort and uh, deploying initiatives to improve their performance. For investors, uh, I would say um, so. Several investors took position at like different points, and I feel like for investors that took position like long term ago, maybe some of them would have uh, realigned their portfolio and all of that. But I think they're like still a lot. They're still. Uh, growing opportunities in the beauty sector. Like I mentioned earlier, um, Nigerian breweries is currently still currently have like significant um, upside. Um, and this is not an investment advice, but an investor can speak to their investment advisor as to okay, what what like a, like um, um, advice entry points for this stock. I mean based on evaluation, this this um, company still have like very good prospects. I mean like to Guinness and Nigerian breweries particularly. I mean, they have like good prospects in the near term, but right now everything might seem down because the market sentiment generally is bearish. So it's not just about the beauty sector; it's about the Nigerian equities market generally. So once the market picking up again, we start seeing positive movements in this sector. So yes, the beauty sector still have like um, very very positive potential. Um, um, potential. They're yet to hit the peak, and with continuous innovation, I mean. Their, their, their net outlook is positive. Perfect, perfect. So in summary, there are a lot of headwinds that face the brewing so- sector specifically and also other headwinds that face the entire you know equity space generally. However, there, there is hope for the future. If you do your analysis and you do your homework well, get your good, a good entry point uh, and hold for the long term. 
thank you very very much um, Juliana for creating the time to have this chat with us and we hope that we might be able to bring you back to the podcast at some point in the future no problem thanks for having me <laughs> thank you very thank much you very much